If you would, and let's go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, some very familiar verses of Scripture, and I did not pick the songs this morning in the order that they were done, but they couldn't have been done better. And if it is well with your soul, the first step is knowing for sure about your eternity. It never has ceased to amaze me how many people are involved in church, uh, go to church all of their lives, and, and even generationally, and yet you ask them the question, if you were to die today, would you know where you're going to spend eternity? And you get a blank stare and... Then usually, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I could go to heaven and, well, could I press you a little bit? Could I ask you why you believe that you would go to heaven? And it usually comes out, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as the next guy or I, I go to church or sometimes people even say, well, I've been baptized or I've done this and, and done that. I want to explain something on the, board here above the our representation of the empty tomb there there are just a few words three words it is finished those words were uttered by Jesus Christ on the cross and the reason he uttered those words was because he had finished all of the work that needed to be done so that we could be saved And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you're familiar with these verses. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It says, For by grace are ye saved. Through faith. So we have two elements here that are involved in this thing called salvation. We have grace and we have faith. It says we're saved by grace through faith. Now, grace simply is God's unmerited favor. It is God's affection for us that we do not deserve. Uh, uh, That is probably the greatest lie that the devil has ever helped mankind to believe, is that somehow you and I can accomplish something that will make ourselves pleasing to God. That somehow... We can do something that would make God happy with us. I want to challenge you. If you could do something that would make yourself deserving of God's grace, then you would have a right to demand His grace, would you not? I mean, let's think about it a minute. If you could do and perform some ritual, some set of 
of ceremonies that would bring you to a point to where you were actually a worthy recipient of God's grace, would you not then have the right to go before God and say, I earned it, I deserve this. That's why the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why the Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. In this passage right here, it says that it's the grace of God that saves us through faith. Now, grace, I want you to understand something. The book of Titus tells us that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. How many of you have ever felt guilty after you did something wrong? You know what that is? That's the grace of God telling you you cannot save yourself. That's what Titus chapter 2 is telling us, teaching us and denying ungodliness and worldly lust. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us, that makes us feel like we've done something wrong. And, and I'll tell you, it's amazing uh, to watch little children grow. And, and when they're very, very small, just toddling around and just trying to learn how to talk, you know what? children are going to do, they're going to do some bad things. They're, they're going to mess some things up, and they're going to break some things, and they're, going to, they're just going to be bad. But there comes a time they get a little older, and something happens bad, and you look at them, and they're you can read it. Guilty as charged. I mean, you can just read it as plain as day on that little face. They know they did something wrong. That's, parents, that's time to start really beginning to pray for the salvation of your children. They're waking up to understand the difference between bad and sin. And we need to pray for our children that soon they will make that decision to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. But the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So I, I have good news for everybody here today. If you want it to be well with your soul, you've got to first settle the issue of your salvation. And it all comes around the word that I want to preach about today faith. You see, you're saved by grace. The good news is every person that is in this auditorium has God's grace. Every person that has ever lived on this planet has God's grace. What you need is faith. Faith. Because faith 
is what appropriates grace to your personal account. God's grace is there. That's why down through the years, some people who have studied the Bible, they got so overwhelmed with God's grace and His goodness and the fact that Jesus has died to pay the price for the sins of the whole world and that it is finished. They have come to a a, a point of human reasoning, not biblical truth. I want to be well understood before I make this statement that this is something that is a result of human reasoning, has nothing to do with the Bible, is totally against the Bible, that all people will be saved. You see, that's not true. Jesus said, Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Those are, those are sobering words. And had they been spoken by anyone other than the Savior, we would stop and we would question those words. But because Jesus spoke them, we know that they are true. And that is, He is uttering that as a warning that this thing called faith does not come naturally. In fact, it's something that most people will reject. Because broad is the way, wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth unto destruction. And what's the next word? Many. Few find the straight gate. Many walk the broad way to destruction. And so, we need to, I want us to look at this word called faith. If you have settled the issue of salvation in your soul, it is because of this word faith. And I want to challenge you that once you've settled the issue of salvation, I don't care what the problem is in your life, the answer is faith. The answer is in this book called the Bible. Now, where do we get faith? Uh... I, I sometimes don't even like using this illustration. Because how many people know what a magneto is? Have we got any old-timers here today that admit it and know what a magneto is? Okay, I think I saw two hands. Uh, a magneto is what used to be in your car instead of an alternator. And, and they still use them in airplanes. And there's a reason for that. Because as long as the magneto turns, it generates a spark. And so if you're in an airplane, you can put your propeller into gear and the wind will turn your propeller on the old planes and you'll still get a spark. Because if your battery goes dead and you don't have any way of making a spark, guess what you do? You land immediately. And usually with catastrophic results. It's not a pleasant thought. And so the engineers, they put those magnetos on there so that you can have at least that last chance of getting that spark and keeping the engine putting a little bit until you can bring it down to the ground. 
Well, a magneto is the way that most people look at faith. They want to put the handle in and let's go. Like the old model T's. And turn the handle and all of a sudden it starts putting and ah, I've got faith. I've got faith. I've got faith until I run out of gas and then I'll get some more and I'll start me up again. What does this phrase right here say? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that faith, not of, what's that last word? Say it out nice and loud. Not of, together, yourselves. Now let's put a personal application on that. Not of me. All together. Here we go. Not of me. Faith does not come from you. Faith does not dwell in here. There is no little ember inside your heart that is fanned into a flame by anything because there's nothing there to fan. You see, sin... Put an end to faith. And all of us were born in sin. If you have any argument about that, just pick up the newspaper. Or look in the mirror. Sin is in all of our lives. The only answer to sin is faith. You have to have grace. Grace is what brought Jesus to Bethlehem's manger. Grace is what sent him to an old rugged cross. Grace is what rolled the stone away from that tomb, not so that he could get out, but so that we could see in. Amen? So that we could know that he is the eternal God and our Savior. first point I want to make this morning about faith is faith has a single source. True Bible faith has only one source. It is not in you. Faith does not come. I've, uh, many people have given the testimony over the years. Well, you know, preacher, I've just always felt the presence of God with me through my, my whole life. I, I want to challenge you, that's not faith. That won't save you. Faith is not feeling the presence of God. Faith is not what is in you. Well, where does faith come? Say it with me. Romans ten seventeen. Faith cometh by and hearing by the Word of God. Faith has a source. That source is the printed words of God. I've often counseled people as they come and they talk, and we talk about salvation, and they'll say something like, Well, preacher, I'm just not ready yet. Listen, far be it from me. I would never try to exact a prayer from someone because prayer does not save you. Faith saves you. 
It's got to be real. It's got to come from the Word of God, not from any other place. It's faith that makes you call upon the name of the Lord. It's faith that makes you confess the Lord Jesus. It's faith that will allow you to believe that God hath raised Him from the dead. The source of our faith is the words of God. I met a guy one time. He said, I just can't believe the Bible is the Word of God. I, I refuse to believe that. I said, well, we have nothing to talk about then. He looked at me, aren't you going to try to argue with me? I said, no, I can't argue with me, with you at all. I, I have nothing to say. If you refuse to believe that this book is God's Word, I, I can't tell you anything. Because everything I believe is based on these words. There's no hope for you. There's no chance of eternity apart from what's printed in this book called the Bible. Because faith has a source. As Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he told them, he said, I want your faith. He says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. Can I challenge you that faith has a source outside the human being, that the source of faith is in the Word of God, and that faith is the most powerful thing that you will ever come into contact with. Faith is what can take an atheist heart who believes there is no God and connect it to God. Amen? But he's got to give up his atheism first. He's got to believe the Word of God. Jesus talks about faith moving mountains. He said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, how many of you like that good old-fashioned yellow mustard? That's ground mustard seed. It doesn't look like ground mustard seed. It looks like paste, doesn't it? You see, mustard seed grinds pretty fine. And Jesus said, you only need a grain. Could you try to pick out one? Next time you get a hot dog and put some mustard on top of it, try to pick out one grain. Unless you have one of those Irish coarse mustards that they don't... Uh, they don't grind up the mustard seed. You can't do it. I mean, it's, it, you'd have to have a microscope, I think. And Jesus said, just a grain of mustard seed faith can bridge the gap between you and eternity. But faith is an amazing thing. It's... The Bible spends time defining it and explains it to us. It tells us its source, where it comes from. And yet, you go into the Christian bookstore, and you're going to find 4,000 books, each one of them describing faith in a totally unbiblical and different way. You turn on TVN or one of those Christian broadcasting stations, and, and you'll hear them on there telling you that, 
You need to have faith. You need to believe. You need to have faith. Faith doesn't come from you, my friends. That kind of faith won't get you anywhere. So why do all these preachers yell for it? Because people want something to do with their hands. They, they want to feel like somehow they can please God. See, I want you to listen very closely to this next point. It's, it's going to be one that you're going to have to think about. Bible faith, because it is based on the words of God, is an objective faith, not subjective. So we need to define two words. Object means just an objective faith means that you have an object. Okay, why do people go to school? Because they're trying to procure an object. It's called a diploma. And you want to graduate with a diploma. Now, you know how many people have asked to see my diploma since I graduated? I think maybe two. Now, don't come up and say, Pastor, can I see your diploma? Because I think you'll just be patronizing me because a diploma is just a piece of paper, isn't it? We've graduated people in our New York City public school system that couldn't even read the diploma their name was written on. That's tragic, is it not? But that is what happens when you place the wrong object as the foundation of your faith. Are we together still? But the problem, the great problem is most people are willing or desirous even to have a subjective faith. Now, a subjective faith, when we talk about a king, he has subjects. Isn't that correct? That's the proper term. A a subjective faith means... A faith that is ruled by the subject. Now, let me ask you, who, what is your favorite subject? Me. Don't lie. This church. It is your favorite subject. And a subjective faith is a faith that is under my authority. That's why somebody can say there and see what the Bible says and see that the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And they say, I, I, I just don't feel right about it. That's a subjective faith. And that kind of faith is never a Bible faith. You see, an objective faith means that your faith is controlled by the object, which is God, which is His Word. A subjective faith is controlled by me, 
and my feelings and my thought processes. I remember talking many individuals over the years, and one in particular, I don't believe in anything I can't understand. I said, that's not true. It is too. I said, do you use a light bulb? He says, well, yeah. I said, can you explain what light is? He said, well, light is the radiation that comes... I said, you need to talk to a scientist because there is no living scientist today who can actually define light. We describe it. What you're doing now, you're not defining it, you're describing it. You don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I just like it. And I use it all that I can. In fact, when we took the guys camping... Uh, no street lights, no extra, any external light. Get out the old Coleman lantern and pump it up good and tight. And we've got our own street light we took with us. And it rained like cats and dogs. Got up in the morning and the old lantern was still burning nice and bright. You know what? We like light, don't we? But we can't explain it. You see, we like to make excuses so that we can stay in control. It's scary when someone else is in control. How many of you have ever had surgery? You know what? I just hate those last few minutes when they're sitting in there talking and they're going, are you ready to go sleep now? And I'm going, you think you're so funny. I know what's going to happen. You're going to push that little needle and I'm going to go sleep whether I want to or not. I mean, I just don't like that. I mean, I'm always watching them until they push the needle. I mean, I'm not watching them after that. I don't have a choice. I just don't like that. Most of us don't like when someone else is control. But could I challenge you that's the key to a good marriage? Because if you have both people trying to be in control, all you're going to have is fight and strike. So I, I, I talk to every young lady I get a chance to talk to. Are you sure you want to get married? I said, do you understand what the Bible says when a woman gets married to a man that you're giving your life and the direction of your life to him? Are you sure you want to do that? Every once in a while I'll get one that flinches and I say, okay, wait a minute. We need to stop and think about this a minute. Because those, those are the rules that God set up in His Word. You, you can't improve on the Bible. Amen? I didn't get much of an amen. Guys, couldn't I even get one out of you? You see, I want you to turn with me to Acts 24.24. And, and we're just going to pull one verse here. As an illustration, we're not going to pull it out of context. We're, we're, we're 
just looking at this one thing here. Paul was in prison. Felix was the governor. And in verse 24, it says, And after certain days of Acts 24, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewish, Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning... Now, look at those next words in your King James Bible. The faith in Christ. Now, do you get what is being said there? Felix, the Roman governor, calls Paul. He brings his wife, who is Jewish. And he says, Paul, I want to hear. And Paul declares unto him the faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what he's simply saying there, that little definite article, T-H-E, that means only one. You see, if faith is objective and not subjective, then there's not a multiplicity of patterns. My blood boils every time I hear somebody, well, that's your truth. No, no. That's the world of subjective faith. Where your faith is controlled by what you think about it. In the world of an objective faith, there's only one faith. There's only one message in this book. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. People say, why do we have so many religions? Well, it's interesting, and we could spend weeks on that subject, but let me just ask you a question. Why do they call them Lutherans? Uh, Well, there was a guy named Martin Luther. And he developed a unique system of faith that people who choose to follow in his teachings and in his doctrine are called after his name, Lutherans. Well, John and Charles Wesley were so methodical In their presentation of faith, it was step by step, line by line. It was written out. And if you were going to follow the Wesleys, you had to follow their method. Hence the term Methodist. And you'll have Wesleyan Methodist and United Methodist and different methods. Because it's a different object where the faith comes from. We want the object of our faith. Paul shared the faith in Christ. That means that Paul shared a singular message that is definable and repeatable. And he preached that same message all the way through the book of Acts. And if I am going to have an objective biblical faith, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Paul's message in the book of Acts and I'm going to do my best to preach that same message here today so that our faith has the same object that his faith is, so that our faith is defined exactly the same way that Paul's faith is defined, 
so that we can see that a faith that is not based in me, in human nature, a faith that is based in the Word of God with its object as Jesus Christ is going to have a set definition, a set description. In fact, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, as Paul was talking to the Ephesians, he was describing it. Ephesians chapter 4, and let's just look at verse 13. Now, let me give you the context. Verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If we go back to verse uh, 4, there is one body, one spirit, and one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 5, he's talking about the local church. He's talking about the church at Ephesus to which he was writing And he says, in that church, there's some people that God has given you, and their job is the perfecting of the saints and the edifying of the body of Christ. In verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, I'm not here to argue with other people. That's not what our church is about. But sometimes, in trying to present the truth, we have to name names of those who hold error. It's part of a responsibility so that as a pastor... I can help you keep your faith in the object that God wants it to be, which is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that people who believe differently uh, are, are unsaved. I'm not saying that people who believe differently are, are not going to heaven. What I am saying is that there is one faith in this book called the Bible. It is defined. We can read it. We can read Paul's message. He told the uh, Philippian jailer to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you want to know how that a Christian ought to behave in the context of Bible Christianity, we, we need to read Paul's letters to the churches. I mean, he names sin and he names problems and he says... Listen, there's something that's going to happen if people share a faith in common. They're going to grow. They're going to grow into a unity of faith. That faith is faith in Jesus Christ. There's going to be agreement, not disagreement. Because we have faith that has the same source, faith that has the same object, and it will produce the same results in the lives of believers. Are are we together? And so we come to this word called faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith. 
when Jesus cursed the fig tree and the disciples finally paid attention to it and it was all withered up, Jesus' answered to their questions as to what He did and why He did it. In Mark chapter 11 and verse 22, He just had one simple statement. He said, have faith in God. He told the uh, 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 Thomas, who had doubted him, to put his finger in his side, to put his hand in the nail prints of his hand. And he said, and be believing. Stop being faithless. You see, the written Word of God is our final authority. We say that. But when we disagree with the Bible, do we just keep going on our little merry way? Or do we have an object of faith that makes us stop and come to the Savior and get it straightened out? That's what we're supposed to do. That's what faith is supposed to do in the life of a believer. Amen? And we cannot deviate from what is written down. And that's why we have so many different religions. Is because people want to redefine words. That's what this whole issue of homosexual marriage is. They want to redefine words. For 6,000 years of human history, the word marriage meant a man and a woman marrying and having a family. Well, now we want to broaden that definition. Wrong. We want to make the Bible mean what we want to mean so we can do what we want to do and feel good about it. And I'll tell you what, you'll never feel good about it. Because if you want to feel good, quote-unquote, the only assurance and security you can have in this life is knowing that you are in agreement with God. Because one of these days, whether you accept Him or not, you're going to come face to face with Him. The Bible says that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, the written Word demands faith in the living Word, which is Jesus Christ. And that takes my attention off of me and who I am and puts it on Jesus Christ and who He is. And just one more verse and we're done. Galatians chapter 2. We'll just touch on this verse because it summarizes everything that have been trying to preach this morning. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And Lord willing, in a couple of months, we'll get there on Thursday nights as we're going through the book of Galatians. Uh, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, taking our time to try to build this up and understand uh, Paul's book to the Galatian churches. But in verse 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Now, if you're crucified, that means you're dead. Because crucifixion meant nailed to the cross until you're dead. So Paul says, listen, I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Christ's death on the cross 
is counted for mine. That's what happens when you get saved. Amen? Nevertheless, I live. I'm still alive. But it's not me. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's faith. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live how? By the faith of the Son of God. That means the faith belongs to Him. You see, He is the living Word. And the written Word has brought me to the living Word. And now the living Word lives in my heart. And the life which I now live is supposed to be His. Because He loved me and He gave Himself for me. And that's why they called them Christians. Because their faith changed the way they lived to the point that even the unsaved world could define them by what they knew. And they knew there was a person named Jesus Christ. And they knew enough about Him that they could say, these people are so much like Him, we're just going to call them little Christ. We're going to call them followers of Christ. It doesn't mean non-Muslim. The word means a follower of Christ. And what we are to do, if we're going to have faith, is we have to, number one, understand, it's not from you. It's not from inside of you. It doesn't come from any good that is inside of you. Faith comes from a common source. It's an objective faith, if it's a true faith, and that object is the Word of God. And that object, the Word of God, will drive me to the living God who will live inside me. And when He does that, He's going to change everything about me. And all God's people said, the question is, What kind of faith do you have? Are you still struggling with the way you feel about it? That's a subjective faith. You better get rid of it. It's not a saving faith. Do you have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work? That faith is going to bring you into a unity with other believers serving Christ together. You know what that means? i got to say no to me and yes to Jesus. And we struggle with things in our daily lives, every one of us. But if we have an object of faith, we're going to know what things to say no to And what things to say yes to. And we're going to find ourselves in agreement because we're not measuring by one another. We're not measuring by some standard. We're not measuring by somebody's book. We're measuring by our Savior, who is the object of our faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, 
we want you to work in each heart and life here. Lord, we cannot, I cannot believe that people have not come in here carrying many heavy burdens. Some are struggling with the issue of salvation. Others are struggling with life issues that are just tearing them apart. And yet, Lord, we know the answer for every one of these things is faith. A faith in Jesus Christ based on His words. And Lord, we just ask that you would do your work in hearts and lives today. That you would help us. Lord, we pray for those that are striving to enter in at that straight gate. That they would have the victory over themselves and over their thoughts and over their understanding. And just surrender it all to the Savior and be saved even this day. Lord, we pray for those that are struggling with many other things in their life. They, they know they're saved, but it's just not working the way it should. We pray that you would help them to take their eyes off themselves and what is in them and put them on you and what is in your word. Lord, we pray that we would encourage one another in a biblical, objective faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation is just as I am without one plea. 294 as Andrew comes.